0: Hey, what's going on? Chris Carino here, the longtime radio voice of the Brooklyn Nets, a little podcast we call the Voice of the Nets, a weekly podcast where we dive into some of the the things going on around the Nets and more and conversations with a variety of guests, including players and coaches. Today on the show, it is one of the newest Nets, Lonnie Walker, the fourth. This is a don't judge a book by its cover edition. Uh, The Joe Harris trade is now official. He is on to Detroit. So I just wanted to take a moment to talk about Joe. Back in 2014, he was a second round pick of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And initially, he was going to be joining a team that was in a bit of a rebuild. And suddenly, they get LeBron James back. And now it's no longer a developing team, a rebuilding team. It's a team with one of the great players of all time coming back and has championship aspirations. And Joe spent some time in the G League and then eventually needed foot surgery early into his his second season with the Cavaliers. But up until the time he is being rolled into the operating room, he is thinking, I am going to rehab from my injury and I'm going to be a part of a team that possibly may win a championship. This is the NBA dream for a second round pick out of Virginia, Joe Harris. And Joe told, told me this story on a, on a foundation event we did, the Chris Carino Foundation. We had a virtual event and Joe was kind enough to come on and talk to us about overcoming adversity and resiliency. And he talked about being wheeled into the the operating room, thinking, yeah, I'm going to be part of a championship team. And then when he gets out and he gets to his phone, he gets a call from the Cavaliers that say he's been traded. Literally while he was in surgery, he was traded to the Orlando Magic. And then 40 minutes after that, he gets a call from the Orlando Magic that he's been released. So think about that, going into surgery, thinking you're a part of a team with LeBron James can win a championship, and then a few hours later, you're out of the league and facing rehabilitation from a surgery. Joe ended up rehabbing from the injury, spent time with a friend in New York, and was working out there and playing pickup games, and now enter the Brooklyn Nets and Sean Marks. And if you remember this time, the Nets were without draft picks. They were without salary cap space, and they were trying to build. And how do you do that without those options? Well, you have to go out and find reclamation projects, you have to find guys in the discount bin. And at that moment, Joe Harris needed the Nets. The Nets needed Joe Harris to. Become the kind of player he was before the injury. Joe Harris would sign with the Nets and spend seven seasons in Brooklyn. He became the franchise's all-time leader in three-point field goals made. 13th all-time leading scorer in franchise history. Led the NBA in three-point shooting twice Became the franchise's first player to ever win the three-point shootout at All-Star Weekend. He went from out of the league and injured to being an all-time net. And I understand that he had some big opportunities in huge games where reputations are made for better or worse. And not being able to come through in those situations sits with net fans. It. Sits with Joe Harris more than anybody. And that's why it was gut wrenching at the time because you know how much Joe Harris cared. The guy always played hard. He played through stuff, including an ankle injury the last couple of years. And nobody wanted to win more than Joe Harris. Nobody cared more about the team over his own personal success than Joe Harris. And in the end, Joe got a huge contract. And it's part of the reason why at this point he had to be moved. And it sets him up for life. From the depths of coming out of surgery and finding out that your NBA dream may be over to a place where he becomes an all time player with a franchise. That's Joey Buckets. And we wish him all the best. 31 years old. I think he's still got some good basketball left in him. In my. 22 years as the radio voice of the Nets and almost 30 over 30 years with the organization. He is one of the greatest people to ever wear a net uniform and I'm going to miss him. Uh, Here's what I knew about Lonnie Walker before the Nets signed him. Wild hair, wild game, wildly athletic, late first round pick of the Spurs at the time, thought it was, uh, it was a great pickup, thought he lasted a little longer than what the pundits had said he would last. They were, they were, everybody was praising San Antonio for getting him with the 19th pick in the first round that year. And then when saw him in person a few times with the Spurs, he was electric. But, you know, there, you could see it was a period of time there where the Spurs were going through that rebuild. And his timing really didn't fit the rebuild. He ends up going to the Lakers last year. The hair is all gone. Played well early. And then when I saw them later in the year, I was surprised to see that he wasn't really in the rotation. Found out he had an injury, kind of fell out of the rotation after they made all those moves at the trade deadline last year. And then watching them in the playoffs, I I was kind of scratching my head as to why Lonnie Walker wasn't playing. And then he gets called into action in that Golden State series in the second round, uh, big game four has a huge fourth quarter, helps them win that game, go up 3-1 in the series, and played a role for them after that. But always thought that maybe in the right situation, Lonnie Walker is going to be a good pickup for somebody. And then lo and behold, this summer, free agency, Lonnie Walker gets picked up by the Nets. And... When I was told I was going to get a chance to talk to him here for the podcast, I now start doing a deep dive into Lonnie Walker and found out a lot of things that add layers to who Lonnie Walker is as a person. The first thing you're struck with when you're around him is he's got a terrific personality, always smiling, real personable, great energy. You know, I'm into energy givers. He's an energy giver, right? described as a kid from Redding, Pennsylvania, a place that helped shape him as a person, as a basketball player, obviously. But it's also a place that for Lonnie Walker was filled with poverty and sexual abuse. And when he sat down, you know, I, I said to him, I've learned so much about you, Lonnie, and I, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. Is there anything that's too personal? For you to talk about. And he said, Absolutely not. I'm an open book. He just looked at me and smiled and said, I'm an open book. And we got into a lot of things. It got deep at times, but certainly things that I think are helpful for people to hear. And that's why he's come out and told his story. You know, the, the wild hair that he had that, that used to stick straight up, you know, it's gone. And there's a reason behind it. There's a story behind it that he will tell here on the podcast. So I hope you enjoy it uh Lonnie Walker the fourth a kid from Reading now member of the Brooklyn Nets right here on the voice of the Nets Lonnie I want to you have such a great story and when I found out the Nets were were acquiring you I was really excited for for one as a player but also as a person and what I know about you and we're going to get into your story a little bit but let's Let's tell your story backwards here. Let's let's start right now where we are. Um, I'm sure you had some other options and choices to make here in free agency. What brought you to the Nets?
1: Um, Honestly, just the opportunity. Um, i seen what's presented here. You know, we got great players. Um, as far as Spencer Dinwiddie and Michael Bridges, who I've known for a little while. Um, so the chemistry is already kind of there. And, um, you know, it's been a while since I've been on the East Coast. You know, I'm excited to just be here, you know, play to the best of my capability and, you know, have a good time while I'm over here. Did you know Mikel from Pennsylvania basketball? Um, Yeah, uh, when I when I was getting recruited by Nova, he was over there. So um, I used to always go back and forth, you know, every time I was with Jay Wright up there or at the camps or whatnot. Um, I spent a, a couple of times with his goofy self. How did Jay Wright let you get out of Pennsylvania? It was hard. You know, My I think my whole family at one point believed that I was going to Villanova. I mean, he came, he seen my grandmom. My, my grandmom fell in love with him. Uh, that's all she used to talk about was Jay Wright. But um, I think for me as a man, I wanted to get as far as I can, you mm-hmm. know, get off the nest and kind of learn who I am as a human being. Miami's not a bad place to do that. Oh, no, not at all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what about Jim Laranega? Because he, he ends up getting you to Miami. Mm-hmm. He He's a... He's a uh, I find him to be a really cool guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, his—we see his dances in the locker room. Yeah. I and mean, And um, what, what, what was it about Coach Laranega that maybe was able to get you to join him in Miami?
1: Um, I mean, the coaching staff—you know, him and, and Coach Fish—they're uh, just genuine love, to say the least. Um, you know, they told me what what was presented. You know, already telling me, you know, you're not gonna start immediately here. You have to earn it and you gotta you gotta gain this and gain that. And I think that's something that I have always wanted. I don't want everything to be handed to me. Um and having someone like Coach L who was always around and, you know, giving me genuine and authentic love and telling me, you know, my my potential and what I could be. Um, you know, I think it was instant love, honestly.
0: I know I said we were gonna work backwards, but we've 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 kinda segued into Miami and and I wanted to ask you about that because Talked to Dariq Whitehead, who the Nets had drafted recently, and you know he was injured right before the start of his first season at Duke. There, mm-hmm. um, you had a similar situation, right? You get you get hurt in, I think it was like July, yeah, right first, before college. Right? First practice, yeah. What did that, what did that force you to do, though? How did that help? Maybe the, the sitting there help you develop as a player going into college.
1: Um. I think it was just the mental growth. You know, I think going there, I was already like excited, um, running on fumes. I just won state championship, uh, Jordan brand classic at the Barclays and mm. stuff like that. So, um, I think once I got injured, it kind of slowed me down back to reality to the point to where it was like, all right, you know, you got to lock back in. You know, you got to take it day to day. Um, and that's where I really learned, you know, every single day counts. You know, it's not about two weeks from now, um, uh, whatever your long term and short term goals are, you got to stack them days in between. So, being at UM and being in Miami uh, it really made me you know grow up and mature a lot faster and having coach L and Mrs. L who's the wife uh just made my life 10 times easier to say the least did you guys connect on a way
0: that was more than just basketball
1: um Flanagan? by far yeah. i mean it felt like it was more than just basketball you know yeah. um especially when i got injured the first people i seen was actually Mrs. L and then coach L you know and um she's like a second mom to me. You know, right. she came, she pulled up with a whole bunch of cookies, a whole bunch of love, everything's going to be okay. And um, there's nothing like that mother love. So she really made it 10 times easier.
0: That that period of time though you're out, did, was, did you guys look at, uh, study other players? I, I, you did
1: a lot of film work, right? While yes, sir. You, while your knee was mm-hmm. injured. Um, yeah, I was looking at just a lot of tenacious players, a lot of defensive players, players. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the main people I was actually watching was uh, D Wade, Dwayne Wade. You know, as far as his athleticism and how he played, and so we were really honing in on that. But for the most part, it was the plays, learning the playbook, knowing who my teammates. You know, we had Bruce Brown, uh, we had one of my close friends, Chris Likes, and whatnot. So um, just developing a chemistry with them and understanding how we're going to play as a team. And um, man, it was it was a great time to say the least. And and it was only one year, but and I think you.
0: Maybe anticipated a bigger role that year, but the injury kind of puts you behind, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you mentioned Bruce Brown, he gets injured. And then you step in
1: yeah.
0: to, to a more prominent role with Miami. I know the season ended a little more abruptly than you guys had wanted yeah. that year. Uh, I think you were number one seed, right? You get upset upset
1: by uh, Loyola, 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 Chicago. Chicago. I missed the yeah. free throw. <laughs> well, oh, man, it's in my brain for the rest of my life. Uh, <laughs> it, it sits with you, right? Yeah, <laughs> but, nothing like March Madness. Though. But you,
0: but you had uh, you were you were, played a much greater role toward mm-hmm. the end of that
1: year. How did that set you up now for the NBA draft? Man, it, it set me up a lot. I mean, being able to play in the ACC against the Dukes and the North Carolinas and um, Florida States rather than. Playing with them is a lot different, you know, so I think me just being able to have someone like Coach o allow me to play through my mistakes, allow me to grow and understand, you know, who I'm trying to be and what I'm trying to become, uh, just made it all much easier. Um, at the end of the day, it's basketball, I've been playing it my whole life, so I stayed in the gym, you know, even after I got injured I was allowed to get back in the gym, same way how I am now, you know, I, I let my work ethic uh, determine, you know, what my future holds. And I know a lot of that comes back from where you came from. We're
0: gonna to get to that in a little bit, but you go from Jim Larinega in one year at Miami to now Greg Popovich yeah. in San Antonio. Um what was that experience like? I know it's kind of the Spurs were, you know, into sort of the rebuild mm-hmm. part when they when they draft you, but what was that experience like in San Antonio?
1: Um it was a blessing, I think, as a rookie coming into the league, trying to learn and and, and understand what a professional is and, and how to carry yourself amongst the league and and grow and develop, I think I went to the perfect spot. You know, Coach, Coach Popovich is, you know, y'all all know who he is as far as his accolades and who he is and, you know, what he has done. And I think being there and being around him allowed me to, even grow even more as far as the mental aspect of the game and um, becoming a man and, you know, knowing that, listen, I got a family to feed and take care of and um, going over there. It was a complete 180 from Coach L to Coach Pop, you know, no cursing to a whole bunch of cursing to say the (laughs) least. But um, it was perfect. You know, I think I learned a lot in the span of year one to even year four. And um, I think that's what allowed me to be who I was with the Lakers and, and be professionally ready and always, you know, prepared to play to the best of my capability. What was
0: something that, that Greg Popovich instilled in you or maybe something that you remember about
1: um, your time with him? Um, obviously, the fundamentals as far as point five and good to great and whatnot. But, um, you know, one of the one of the main things he always said was you owe it to your teammates. You know, as far as, you know, this isn't a one band show. This isn't a one man show. You know, um, as far as going to lift, getting to practice early. um Shooting afterwards, shooting before, um, everything you do, you owe it to your teammates. And that's something that I've always carried on with myself. Cause, you know, um, if you're not being, if you're not trying to play to the best of your capability, then that's selfish on your aspect as far as trying to elevate your team and become a, a winning team, at, at, to say the least. So that was really one of the main things we used to always talk about is just, you know, you owe it to your teammates to just be your best self. Point 0.5 used to mean he, he would say, right? I want to either,
0: Either shoot it, pass
1: it, move it. Yeah, shoot it, pass it, or drive. Second. One of the other yeah. you got point five to decide. If if it takes longer than that, <laughs> you, you might get taken out. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, was it hard to leave San Antonio? What was the the? why do you think you end up leaving that situation?
1: Um, I mean, you know, they're kinda back to rebuilding, you yeah. know, as far as you know, that was year four for me. Um, and then once DeJounte Murray kinda left and went to the to the Hawks, I kinda understood what was About to present itself, you know, and I had to figure out where, what was next for for my journey and uh, for my growth. And next
0: was Los Angeles. Yeah. To play with the Lakers, LeBron James. Mm -hmm. Um, You had a real prominent role early last season, then an injury. Um, But when you get there, I mean, there's hype, right? Mm -hmm. There's hype that you're playing with LeBron, you're playing with Anthony Davis. Mm -hmm. there's a championship caliber team. Um, And then things really, it was a struggle. Mm-hmm. Early on, yeah. was was it a
1: struggle to get through that experience? Uh, no, not at all. Um, sometimes you gotta figure out a way to dance in the storm. And I think that was one of the best things is um, we weathered it, you know, and we continued to fight and fight and fight, and we still made it to the playoffs and whatnot and did what we were supposed to do. And I think that's the the best piece of of it all is still making it to where people thought you weren't gonna make it. You know, I love yeah. a, a great underdog story, and I love being part of that underdog. Mm-hmm side of things.
0: But it's kind of like
1: you're you're going
0: you're the kid from Redding is going out to play with LeBron James yeah. in LA. <laughs>
1: I mean, was that a was that a, a pinch me kind of thing for you? Uh for sure. Sometimes I I still haven't really grasped it as far cuz you know that's for me besides Allen Iverson um LeBron was probably one of the main guys i've always watched him and, and, and idolized you know so to be around his his presence and his aura, his atmosphere um and see what makes him great to understand why he made it to the finals nine ten times and whatnot um it's evident you're a young guy
0: with him is it is he like a real person or do you see him is there something just so
1: like a superhero i mean how do you how
0: do you approach he's, being a teammate
1: of lebron james man he's a big baby he life. acts like a kid, to say the least, you know, and it's and it still surprising me. But when it comes to work and film and studying the game, um, one of one. I mean, when we were playing, you know, Memphis or the Warriors, I mean, he knew every single play. You know, when we we're at practice, like, we need Clay over here. Steph likes to be over here. They're going to do this, that, and the And you're like, there's no way. And then you play them and you're like,
0: oh. yeah."
1: You know, so for for him to be so dialed in and so locked in— um. I mean, it shows why he's one of the GOATs, man. And you realize what it takes. Yes. Right to get to that and level. And that's the best part. Yeah. You, to, you get to understand what it takes to be at that level, to take it to the next level. And um, uh, he, he, he sure showed me.
0: You end up getting hurt, and then the team goes through a kind of a complete changeover mm-hmm. with the trade deadline. Yeah. And you come back, and you sort of don't have your spot anymore. Um, eventually, you would get it back yeah. in a big spot in the postseason. But when you first come back, and you know you, you kind of lost, you kind of lost your role to an injury, mm-hmm. um, which I know as an athlete you may not think that's fair or what you no. want. So, how did you get through that period of time?
1: Um, I mean, how I get through everything, you know, it's, it's part of the game. You can you can only control what you can control. You know, I wake up grateful. Understanding it's a new opportunity to reach my best self. So until then, um, when things weren't going my way, I just kept my head down. You know, stayed in the gym, um, watching what Austin Reeves was doing that kept him on the court. What what made Malik Beasley stay on the court? What made D'Angelo Russell stay on the court? Um, and trying to accommodate those aspects of the game. So once I get on the court, you know, I I earn my minutes and I and I stay there. So um, it wasn't really a knocking ahead or me being upset about the situation is just about growth and that's all i can ask for in this in this thing that we call life is just trying to be the best person that i can be but then when they called upon you always so ready, you were ready yeah
0: right always i mean ready. it's interesting you brought up the example of clay and curry before because that's the series now you get in they mm-hmm. need you they call on you you had a big fourth quarter in that game that puts them up 3-1 mm-hmm. um Again, talk about pinch me. Yeah. Here you are, <laughs> the kid from Reading on right. the biggest stage in the conference finals against the defending champ. You know, well, the, the conference semis mm-hmm. against the, you know, the champion warriors. Yeah. You, you've been out of it now. You haven't been in the rotation mm-hmm. and suddenly you're called upon and you come through. I mean, afterwards, I, I would imagine that was a surreal moment
1: for you. Uh, yeah. One of, one of the biggest moments of my life, to say the least. Um after the game, I pretty much sat down in my locker for about an hour and a half, if not two hours, just, you know, embracing what just happened, you know, just understanding, you know, everything that happened previously as far as emotional and uh, mentally and to withstand it all, um, to weather the storm, to understand, you know, divine timing, you know, it's all going to come back around. Saved my life, you know, and I was very excited to just be given that opportunity because two games prior to that, you know, I was, we were playing like garbage minutes and I'm like, man, I'm going to play the best of my capability. Maybe this will give someone a a sign or show someone, all right, maybe we got to give him five, 10 minutes or implement him in the, in in the rotation somehow. Yeah. That's why
0: those minutes at the end of the game, sometimes, I mean, we, as broadcasters, we start talking about other stuff. Mm -hmm. We start doing, you know, and you're out there playing hard, but you kind of value those couple of minutes. Oh, absolutely. Right.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, I've, I was in the playoffs my rookie year, but I didn't get the opportunity to play. So to be playing against the Warriors or playing against Memphis and being in that playoff crowd in that environment, um, I think that's something that I'm very addicted to.
0: Yeah. And, it, you know, we're going to go now back to the beginning and the whole story, it can almost have like you coming in there for the Lakers in the playoffs. As like the ending to the movie, but you're yeah. only what twenty four years old. This yes, sir. is you've got a lot more of your movie to still come here, and hopefully uh, the nets will benefit from that. Yes, sir. Um, but let's go back to Reading, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. where you're from, kid from Reading. Um, what does that mean to you? That city. What was th- what was it like to be from
1: there? Uh, I mean it's. It's a, it's a jungle world, to say the least. You got lions, bears, tigers. It don't matter. You know, you you decide which animal you are. But um, it's not something to play around with. You know. But being back home in Redding, I would say it's magical. You know, it's a it's a small town. Everyone knows everyone. You probably know everyone's business. You know who your where your best friend lives. You probably know where your worst enemy lives. You know. Um, but it has its own aura about it. I would say the least. You know, I. I take great pride in where I'm from and um, that's what made me, you know, I mean, this is the reason why I'm humble. This is the reason why I'm hungry, educated, smart, um, you name it. Um, It's because of read and being around so many people, being around the kids and whatnot, um, you know, I wouldn't change it for anything. Yeah.
0: I know you still go back. Um, Was it, was it a dangerous place? Was it, a small town where people looked out for you? How do you, Uh, I guess it's it's like you said,
1: it's like you had to make sure you ended up with the right people. uh, Small town, but pretty dangerous. You know, you got your areas, you got your North side, East side and the South side and whatnot. You know, you just gotta pick and choose who your friends are. You know, you gotta be very careful with your surroundings, but that's like any place, you know, you're gonna have your yin and yangs, your good and your bad, no matter where you are. So, you know, Redding was just, it was a tough place. It still is a tough place. I think around seventh, eighth grade, we were ranked one of the poorest cities in the country as far as growing up and, and what we had to live by, you know. So me, my mother, and my brothers, we lived day to day. We didn't know what tomorrow presented. We didn't know where we were going to stay at the next day, if we were going to be with friends of eight people already in the house or friends of a couple. Um, so uh, I think most people in Redding, we, we live to survive. We, we're day to day people. Mm. Your mom? I remember you, I saw a quote where you said she's the strongest person you know. In what way? Oh, um, we, we 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 were practically homeless at one point, you know, to say the least. And for her to be so strong, for her to keep a smile on our face and make it seem like everything was okay, even though it wasn't, um, speaks a lot of volumes. You know, there's times where we had a dollar twenty-five. We had this sandwich at this Getty Mart. It was called a murder burger, <laughs> and. uh It was a dollar twenty five, very, the bread was soggy. It was an aluminum foil, not the greatest of burger, but it was amazing. Uh, we would split the burger in half. You get like some Dorito nachos. You might put the Doritos in, in the, in the burger and whatnot. And, uh, that was our meal for the day. We'll split a burger. We'll split a bag of chips that probably cost us a dollar seventy five and then probably another quarter, if not fifty cents for a little a treat, uh, soda. And that's what me and my mom Duke shared for the day, if not two days. Um, so. We were surviving, and she made everything in her power to make sure that we were good. That's a you talk about humble beginnings
0: mm-hmm. in terms of becoming now a professional athlete. Your dad, mm-hmm. what part did he play in that? Because I know you guys, maybe he didn't live with you didn't live with uh, him, yeah, with your mom.
1: No, not at all. Okay, but but he was still a part of you. Oh yes. Uh, uh, so uh, my father's kind of what keep me kept me. Principle, I guess the principles, you know, I think having a father figure, especially being a man, you need someone that you need to look up to. And, man, he, he used to work me all the time. He still does. You know, even after games, he's talking to me for two, three hours of what I should have, would have, could have done, even if it was a great game. So growing up, I mean, before practice, during practice, after practice, we were working out. You know, almost every one of my friends could attest to this. You know, everyone's trying to go play manhunt or go, go to play five on five on the court and my dad has me doing box jumps right next to us and he's like he's not playing with y'all until he's done with these next 300 box jumps or whatever it may be you know so um, he instilled the work ethic as to where i am now as far as understanding that you know you can have all the talent in the world or no talent but a work ethic is always what's going to put you to that next level is the box jump what got you the leaping ability that you have i think so because that was my end all be all was box jumps all right uh box jumps calf raises you know we used to have a little a whole bunch of steps so he used to be like before you get to your room you gotta make you gotta do at least 10 to 25 calf raises per step um so we used to have little increments and little things that he used to always do that when I was young, I'm like, "Why is he making me do this? This guy's crazy," you know. And he's always like, "One of these days, you're gonna thank me." I'm like, <laughs> all right, but you know, I, I guess it paid off now. Uh,
0: especially when you were running, there was a big hill in Reading. He used to make me yes, run to
1: the Crybaby Hill. Crybaby Hill. Yes. Wow. So it was um, a very steep hill. All I think once you once you hit about 10 years old is when you had the courage to to ride down it on a bike, um, but you would go down so quick since it was so steep that your eyes would tear up. We call it Cry Baby Hill. But um, you were running up it. I was running up the hill, yeah. a little bit opposite. So, I mean, down or up, I think it was still crying involved. But that's something that for sure pushed me. You know, there's times where you, you'll get like halfway to the hill and you're like, all right, I don't want to do this no more. And then you hear my pops in the background, you've to keep going, I'm not playing. <laughs> so then you make it and you're like okay, it's not as bad as I, as I thought it was, but to continuously do it and doing high knees and all these type of things, my pops really uh, showed me just what it takes, how much sacrifice it takes to get here.
0: Well, he was a basketball player
1: too, right? Yeah. So he played College. at Alvernia University. um, Salvernia College, or oh, it was Alvernia College before, now it's Alvernia mm-hmm. University. Yeah. Um, had a thousand points, thousand rebounds. So growing up, it was always like, man, you're your dad, uh, he's this and he's that, you know, and we have the same name. So it used to be, oh, that's um, that's Lonnie's son. And uh one day he got mad at me because I was like, Dad, what's wrong? You're not talking to me today. You know, he gave me the silent trip he was like, Man, I got all these kids coming, he's saying, Oh, that's Lonnie's dad, you know, so the
0: <laughs> sort of flip script. And um Yeah, when you go from being Lonnie's uh, yeah, dad to Lonnie, Lonnie's son yeah, to man. Lonnie's dad messed, yeah. messed
1: him up. He couldn't yeah. get used to it.
0: I feel like whenever I see somebody include the Jr. in their name, mm-hmm. or in your case, Lonnie Walker the fourth, there's a reverence for the other Lonnie Walkers. Absolutely, that came before.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's the one of the best aspects is understanding uh, my history. You know who came previously, what the what the old Lonnie Walkers were, what they represented. You know, my grandfather, Lonnie Walker. Uh, Jr. tried out for the Bills, so he was an athlete, you know, so um, I think it's always been instilled in us to kind of always be as far as on the athletic side, you know, play football, play basketball, and um, being able to talk to my father about the past and be able to talk to my grandfather who passed away about the first Lonnie Walker and hearing certain things and be like, hmm, I can relate to that, or um, I kind of see that personality or or that trait in me. Um, It's always a blessing, you know, and I'm big on history, so it's always dope to you know, learn about my past and who I represent, and um, you know who made me me. He, you, your dad, also
0: stressed education. Yes, um, I know he would make you come home yeah. and write and, and do some reading read, read and writing an things hour. like that. Yeah, yeah, he
1: didn't play no games, man. Yeah, you know, after school, my routine used to be after school, I would have to come home, I would write for an hour, I would do ABCs, one, two, three. For hour straight, nonstop writing in cursive, lowercase, uppercases, and then um, I would read for an hour. Then I would have to tell him what I just read about. Then afterwards, we would go to the park. That's when I do my box jumps, calf raises, sprints. And by that time, it was about five thirty, six o'clock. And he was like, "All right, you have a little bit of friends, friendship time. Uh, you got to be home by the by the time the streetlights come on." So I would really only have ten minutes of of you know playing time with my friends, but I mean, it was worth it, but it seemed like this structure is what you needed to get out of a place. Absolutely, because Redding, you know, there's, there's not much there to say the least, you know. And a lot of people, especially kids growing up, you know, we are attracted to what our surroundings are. So if our friends are doing things of X, Y, and Z, we might want to be involved with that, or not even that, you know, just the, the way of living. Not most kids have money as far as, you know, living, you know, availability and eating and whatnot. So a lot of a lot of kids 13, 14, gotta find a way to get it how they get it, I guess you can say. And that might involve going into the streets or doing things of that nature and, and growing up at a younger age because you don't know, we don't have nothing else and we're just fighting to survive. So um it's it's for sure a lot of adversity in Redden. But I mean, once you get past that that hump. I don't think anyone could stop us. But despite all that,
0: I, your, your attitude has always been uh, very positive and upbeat. Um, and it's a lot to deal with. Mm-hmm. And you're able to get through it and be that kind of person and positive. Um, I would imagine, I know you have a foundation, the Lonnie Walker Foundation, and you just mm-hmm. built a court, right? It, yeah. Was it Bear Park? Yes, sir. How you say it? Mm-hmm. In Reading. I mean, that's the place, right? Where you would that's, go to play. Yep. And now you just paid for a renovation. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a full circle moment. That's got to be yeah. very, very, uh, very, very emotional.
1: Yeah, um, that for sure touches my heart. Um, even the few days going into opening up the court, I mean, I w- couldn't sleep because I just couldn't believe that you know I was in that predicament. A nice um, court too. I saw pictures yeah. on Instagram. Yeah, yeah it was so nice. growing up, that was uh, Danielle Marshall's court. Okay, the, so well, he a UConn star. Yeah, so he yeah. was. I'm from the North side. He's from like the North Glenside area. Mm -hmm. So he kind of like rented, rented out that same area back in the day. So um, growing up, I was always motivated and inspired to do that. You know, understanding how big of a deal it was. I remember growing up, we had uh, Chad Henney, who was a football player Mm -hmm. um, from Wilson. And uh, he did one of our parks in Redden. And it was an amazing time. I mean, I was about nine, 10 years old. And for me to still remember this you know, shows how important it was to me and to see all the kids and see everyone at this new park and see, you know, the feeling, I remember how it felt and to feel inspired. Um, I mean, that was something that I've always dreamed of doing. I just think about those kids that are now going to go to that park. Oh yeah. It was, Um, I came back the next day and it was completely packed. We had about 30, 40 kids, a whole bunch of kids uh, waiting to play the next games and whatnot. And uh, it was a very nostalgic moment because it, it brought back memories when I was younger and it, you know, the courts was jam-packed and there's kids waiting on who got next and you're figuring out who's part of your team and who you don't want on your team and whatnot. So <laughs> But maybe it wasn't as nice. I mean, these court the courts yeah, are beautiful. It's beautiful now. Yeah. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. What other things you start to
0: do? Like So not everybody's gonna be six four mm. with the jumping ability you have and the basketball ability you have. So when you go back to talk to kids that are in reading right mm. now that maybe will never have that opportunity to be a star basketball player. Mm-hmm. What do you try to impart on them to make something of
1: themselves coming from the, the background that you know they're, they're um, dealing with? Just trying to reach your higher self, reach your best self, um, whether it's it doesn't involve sports. It could be being a teacher, being a doctor, being a lawyer, um, being a janitor, it doesn't matter. Um, but I always try, try to instill that, you know, academics is priority one, but every single day, just trying to be a better person than what you were yesterday, you know, rather if it's reading, um, learning something new, um, and just, you know, just overall growth. Um, so when I go back home and I see the kids and I try and inspire and talk to them, um, we always talk about school being a priority because that's what takes you to the next level, but continuously just growing, you know, reading books, uh, what can I do today that will make me a better person yesterday? Is there something that I can help out? Is there, I seen a homeless person today. Um, is there a ways for me to help him out or, and give back, you know, just bigger picture things and, you know, understanding that, you know, the world doesn't just evolve around us, you know, it's for everybody. Let's
0: move forward a little bit now and maybe a little bit of the past, we always used to see you with the trademark hair, you know, it was all the way grown up. We used to, you yeah. know, we would comment and say, you know, six, four, Six ten with the hairdo, yeah. you know, kind of thing. A um, couple of years ago, you you cut it all off, mm-hmm. and you revealed why you did it, mm-hmm. why you grew your hair the way you did, and then why you cut it off. Could yeah. you
1: could you share that story? With yeah, um, you know. So, growing up, I have a a lot of things, you know, that kind of made me who I was and whatnot. But, um, you know, growing up, I was sexually assaulted and. There was a point of time where I didn't really know much about anything else besides just just that. Um So I grew my hair up. You know, I wanted to f- feel like I had some type of ownership in my life or some type of something that I can call mine. How old were you? Uh between seven to ten, so about three years. Okay. Um, and just had my hair. You know, that's what I I used to always touch it. I used to always play with it. Um, Kept me sane, to say the least, and. You know, I think that's what really helped me out, you know, it helped me disguise a lot of things, helped me, you know, get by even sometimes, even if I wasn't the happiest person in the world. But, you know, it really groomed me to be as humble as I am, to say the least, you know, everything kind of has slowed down. And, um, you know, once I kind of hit a point where I was reaching a new chapter in my life, I decided to cut it, you know, understanding, you know, the past is the past and me knowing the bigger picture, which is knowing that I'm not the only one. Um, and I think me voicing my story, me telling others what happened would help whether it was a th- one person or a thousand people. And I think that's, you know, what catapulted me into cutting my hair, you know, it's understanding that, you know, I'm entering a new chapter, a new, a new, a new moment in my life. But, um, there's so many other people that need to hear this, that can relate to this, that can understand that, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel and, um, Honestly, as much as I thought I was helping others, it helped me out tenfold, you know, hearing the abundant, the the amount of people that, you know, showed love and, hey, I've been through this before and I understand and thank you for, for this, that, and the third. You know, it it was something that I was terrified to to speak on. Um, but once I got to speak on it and, and understand that I'm not the only one, um, it made my life so much easier. But uh, to see other people's life at, at ease just made it 10 times better the hair was
0: symbolic because yeah. it kind of, did you feel like it was almost like a um, a costume
1: you wore to hide absolutely, absolutely. what was going on? Here? For sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it was a, it was a lot of everything, honestly, a costume, a disguise, you name it. Yeah, disguise. Um, but over time, it became its own entity. Uh, once I went to Miami, it, it got locked up and turned into uh, whatever it turned into. And um, I think that gave me a little bit of mojo though. You know, at first it was to disguise myself, but as I got older, it gave me confidence. It gave me, you know, my swagger. It gave me who I was. When people thought of Lonnie, they thought of me with the hair. And then, you know, you go on to draft day where I had the floating hat and whatnot and things of that nature. So it didn't really become a disguise once I came into the league. It became just who I was, what I represented as far as, you know, having your own swag and your own confidence and your your own aura. So it transitioned up in a plentiful different ways. But was it symbolic in a way that when you cut it off, it was like, I don't need that anymore? Yes. So yeah. I think that's, that was one of the most important moments was people always ask, you know, are you going to ever cut your hair? And I used to be like, eh, not really, because I had such a deep bond with it as far as my past and understanding what it really was more than people really understood. So yeah. uh, once I got it cut, it felt like weight off my back more than I thought, you know, all the pressure and all the random animosity or anger that I would have or fumes, it kind of just felt like it just, I cut it off and it's like, all right, the past is the past. You're entering a new realm. You're entering a new part of your life. And me cutting my hair really elevated me to even another level that I wasn't even ready for as far as the mental aspect and um, just being ready for anything. Was there anything specific
0: that happened that made you finally? Make the decision to um, come forward, be, use this courage and come forward and talk about it and then cut the hair.
1: And was there uh, anything specific or any one person? I would say my grandma. Yeah. You know, um, there's usually like a point in time where I kind of have flashbacks or whatever you can say, you know, where, I, where I'm not in the greatest of moods. And uh, my grandma was, was one of the few people that, you know, talked to me and calmed me down and, and let me see a completely different perspective that I never got to see. Um, and she used to always say, you know, you're a beacon in life, you know, and being able to spread your messages and help others. And, um, I was really ready to cut my hair to say the least besides, you know, the past traumas. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was sleeping dang near in the middle of my bed with my feet dangling just cause my hair was so long. So, uh, it was hitting a point where I was ready to cut it, but it was hard for me to cut it. And my grandma kind of helped me out as far as understanding, like. When you cut this, the message that you're going to spread and the people that are that are going to receive this is going to be more than you can understand. And I'm huge on bigger picture and you know helping out others. So I understood what what, what was at hand. You know, my grandma really helped me like lock in and understand like I'm ready to cut this. You know, I'm ready to get past that. I'm I'm ready to not think about it, move on, um, and and talk about and talk what's about going it. on. Yeah, and through it all, I found internal peace and internal happiness within myself. Uh, I just relate to in a sense
0: not it's it's kind of apples to oranges but i went through a similar situation in terms of i had a a disease i have a Mm -hmm. muscular dystrophy and for so long i there was a time where i still was trying to outrun the wheelchair yeah and about four years ago i started using one and i was it was this thing when even even before that when i started a foundation it was this idea of telling people Mm -hmm. knowing that maybe it can help somebody but also how much it does help yourself it's a weight off yeah Right. So it's just a similar situation yeah. I'm thinking of, but also there was the fear of, well, when I do, you know, get into a wheelchair and show the, and now approach the world from that perspective, mm-hmm. how am I going to be viewed? Yeah. How am I going to be judged? Mm-hmm. So I would imagine that was a similar situation. When I come and tell this story, yeah. that had to be your biggest fear for years for that sure. somebody would find out. Right. Mm-hmm. And when they do, what was that experience like
1: for you? How did the world um, come back to you? I mean, I received immense amount of love, especially from a lot of people that were in the same predicament as me. Um, and to see that, I mean, that's, that's what's worthwhile. I think the hardest thing for me was, you know, my family didn't really know too much. You know, my father and mother didn't really know too much. So that was kind of like a hard mm. transition, but they seem to be I so mean, much a part of your life and this was still yeah. happening under their nose. Mm-hmm. So for them to, you know, not know it, it hurt them. But, um, you know, for them to find out now and see who I am and, you know, they're, It's like, all right, I mean, it's, it's bad, but we're happy that you got over it for yourself and for everyone else. And I think that the end all be all is just, you know, as much as I thought I was helping others, man, it helped me so much more. You know, it really elevated myself, my life, who I was, you know, just as far as, you know, just a breath of fresh air. You know, all the fans, all the people that came and, and showed love and supported me. As much as I was just trying to support them and let them know that, you know, you're not the only one. Um, I think the highway just went both ways. I loved our conversation. I know you got to go um, and we'll hopefully we'll do this another
0: time. There's so many other things I wanted to talk to you about, like <laughs> sitting in, the, like the stuff you did for animals, sitting in the car yeah. with, with dogs and then getting <laughs> yeah. hot in the car. And yeah. there's all kinds of stuff like that. Before you go, before I let you go, um, it, it seems like your motto would be very similar to. Remember Jim Valvano's speech at the ESPYS? Never give up. Yeah. Right. He was going through cancer and everything. You know, he he talked about what it takes to get through that kind of situation. Never give up. Yeah. And you know, uh, everybody should laugh, cry, think. So just you seem like a jovial, upbeat (laughs) guy. Uh, I'm a movie guy. Yeah. Uh, What's the movie that made you laugh the most? What can you go to to make
1: you laugh? To make me laugh the most, um, man, that's a hard one. You know, It's funny, I was just watching a death at a funeral with Martin Lawrence, yeah, it's classic. Very... Yes, that's one of the most that, that's that is I have a hilarious a buddy of movie. mine. That's like
0: his favorite comedy. Oh all my time. god,
1: it is hilarious! Yeah. I was watching it yesterday and um, I'm trying to go to sleep, but I kept like opening like one eye, just <laughs> chuckling a little bit. <laughs> um, a favorite artist, what about artists? Um, I'm an old soul, so I listen to a lot of old school music. Yeah. Um, so I listen to like Teddy Pendergrass, Luther Vandross, Anita Baker—I mean, the list goes on and on. So those are my favorite artists. But favorite artists overall, probably J. Cole. Okay, that's like my basketball player too. Yeah, Um,
0: I love that though. Nice, uh, nice spectrum there. Yeah. Uh, Finally, there was this Oculus outside Barclays Center, big message board that anyone walking up from the subway, walking around the city, can see coming into the arena. If there's a message you can put up there. For everyone to to read and see that you want them to know, what would it be as far as let say, let's say your message to uh, to net fans, you're coming out you're coming to Brooklyn right now. Mm-hmm. They want to know about Lonnie Walker, what you want them to
1: think about. You. Candle stay lit. you know I can not play for two months, two years, but just know you're going to get a great player um, all in all through and through.
0: Candle stays
1: lit. Yes, I sir. love that.
0: Lonnie Walker, great getting to know you. Thank, Thank you, you very so much for doing this, man. If you didn't know a lot about Lonnie Walker prior to listening to this, uh, I'm sure that you're rooting for the guy like I am. So uh, really looking forward to having Lonnie Walker, the fourth, be a part of the Nets. Interesting he brought up Anita Baker. I love Anita Baker got to be one of my all-time favorite r&b artists soul artists used to see her at detroit pistons games i remember being uh being excited to see her i think the playoff game she did an anthem one time national anthem the album fairy tales one of my favorite r&b albums of all time rapture another great album giving you the best that i got great stuff manita baker um one album that i'm into Lately, it came out late last year, and then, uh, and then he, he added to it this year uh, that, I, that I would love to tell people about is an album called Stick Season by Noah Kahn. And the reason I bring it up now is, you know, it's very few albums that I've ever listened to where it's almost like there's a setting that it inhabits. Noah Kahn is from Vermont, and the album revolves around being a young person with kind of a conflicted outlook on where he comes from, a place that obviously he's tied to, but also runs from a little bit. You know, I think about what Lonnie Walker went through and what's got to be kind of a conflicting relationship with the town of Reading, Pennsylvania. Um, That's what this album is about but it really inhabits that space. It's called stick season by Noah Kahn. Stick season referring to a time up north in New England when all the the leaves have fallen from the trees. It's kind of a bleak time. You know, the weather's terrible. Everybody thinks of New England in the fall with the leaves and the colors and the, the summertime and the spring where it's lush, but those times where it's kind of desolate and lonely and the weather's miserable, um really an interesting album and i and really enjoy it and, and and i enjoyed it before he added these like extra six songs and put it out this summer they fit with the record so stick season by noah khan you got to get the extended thing where you go with the new songs on it as well so that's my listening recommendation along with anita baker my thanks to lonnie walker my thanks to our engineer isaac lee and our producer steve goldberg Again, hopefully, if you've enjoyed this, you'll leave us a nice rating, five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, leave us a review. Please subscribe. We really would appreciate it. My thanks to you all. I'm Chris Carino. Thank you so much for tuning in to The Voice of the Nets.